So I'm working to explore the potential of a feed supplement for cattle that will wipe out digestive methane emissions. And currently, globally, methane emissions from cattle through burps account for a great deal of greenhouse gas pollution. So this is not only a, an important project for the United States, but for the world, is that right? That's right. Globally, burps from cattle and other ruminant animals is equivalent in global warming impact to 590 million cars, which is twice as many cars as we have on the road in the United States. So globally, it's a very, very large issue. Wait a minute, Steve. What do cow burps have to do with America the bilingual? Well, I did ask her that. So does your interest in becoming a bilingual have any relation with your passion for improving the world? It certainly does. In the state of California, which is the nation's largest dairy state, many of the farm workers who work closely with both dairy animals and beef cattle speak Spanish as their primary language. Joan says that these men and women who handle the animals daily have a lot of expertise in regard to their diet and health needs. Which is absolutely vital to understanding whether or not this innovation can be meaningful to the world. And I want to be able to communicate with those experts, or at a minimum to be able to demonstrate to them that I can introduce myself and ask questions in their language as we're getting to know one another. Okay, I get it. And Latin America is also a huge supplier of beef and dairy. Joan needs to learn Spanish. Except there's a problem. Joan Salwin, who is over 50, has been trying very hard. And? It was really embarrassing. It is so difficult for me. Awful. Terrible. And thus the topic of this episode. When are you too old to learn another language? Welcome to America the Bilingual, which reports on the bilingual movement in America. I'm Fernando Hernandez. And I'm Steve Levine. I've heard a lot of people in the U.S. and Mexico say they're too old to learn another language. Is it true? It's not true, of course. People can learn a language or anything else at any age. So there isn't a point in life where people can't learn anymore, short of having a serious dementia. It may take a little bit longer for people to learn something brand new when they're older, but the learning process works. So that's not true. My name is Laura Karstensen. I'm professor of psychology at Stanford University, and I direct the Stanford Center on Longevity. I was able to catch up with Laura Karstensen in Naples, Florida, where she was speaking at a conference. Laura is the author of The Long Bright Future, about what she calls the longevity bonus. In Long Bright Future, you write about the importance of continuing education. And you mentioned two things in particular, language learning and a musical instrument. Can you talk about that a little more? There are lots of efforts ongoing to help people stay cognitively fit as they grow older. And there's very little evidence that they work. I'm referring to this brain game industry. It's the complexity of language and musical learning that seems to be key. And that's what learning a language would do, learning a new instrument would do. It's a lot of coordination. It's not a single skill, but rather it's an approach 
that engages lots of regions of the brain that help us plan and think and coordinate and in a higher level complex way. So those big fat crossword puzzle books, maybe not so much? Not so much, unfortunately, because I love crossword puzzles. But, but what crossword puzzles do is they help you retrieve things you already knew. Okay, so Laura Carstensen says learning a language can be good for mental health as you age, but that doesn't mean older folks can actually master a new language. I asked Laura why so many people believe you can't learn a new language later in life. I think it comes from the contrast between learning a language when you're two, learning a language when you're 15, and learning a language when you're 60. Ah, beautiful. So take us through those three ages. Well, at two, you don't have to study even. Children just have this natural ability, it seems, to take up language and multiple languages. And the extraordinary thing to me is they not only learn these languages, but they keep them separate. Laura finds this baffling. So children just have this ability. And this is true generally, but it's true especially for language. So they just take it up and they learn it but without studying, without cramming, anything else. And what happens at 15? I mentioned 15 because there is some thinking that it's impossible to acquire a new language without an accent after 13. But it's not about the words that can't be learned or the grammatical structure and the approach, but being able to speak without having an accent. And people believe that that's because early in life... That's researchers she's referring to. We have the ability to hear the whole full range of language sounds. And after the first couple years of life, we lose the ability to hear certain kinds of frequencies. So when people speak uh, Chinese to me and they say, here's the word, and they pronounce a word and say it, and then I say it back, and they laugh. So you said exactly what you heard, but what you heard was limited. Right, exactly. That's exactly right. But Steve, I clearly have an accent, yet speak English pretty well. And I know I'll always have an accent in Spanish, no matter how good my Spanish becomes. Lots of people think an accent is bad, but we look at accents as positive things. Oh yeah, I love my accent. In the past, I tried to wash it away, but now I've totally embraced it. An accent is the sound of bravery. That's what the tiger mom, Amy Chow, says, and I agree. While Laura Carstensen says that beyond the age of 15, sounding like a native may be almost impossible, that doesn't mean we can't learn languages. When we get to our 60s, the uptake of novel information is a little bit slower. But again, it doesn't mean it can't be done. And so I don't think people should ever give up on learning new languages. Let's return to Joan. I first met Joan in 2016 when we were classmates, fellow sounds more lofty, at Stanford's Distinguished Careers Institute. When she found out I was studying bilingualism, she told me she so wanted to learn Spanish because being a monolingual, well, it just didn't fit with her self-image. This was before her study of cowburps? Yes, it was. Here's Joan. I am a person who has traveled a great deal and who reads a great deal, who is aware of political and social and economic struggles in far-flung places, and yet I only speak one language. There's a disconnect there. Tell us what you have done so far in your Spanish journey. 
Okay. Well, briefly, I had a Spanish journey in high school and in college, and I studied Spanish for three years in high school and then also studied Spanish in college, and it was by far the most difficult course I had. Joan was a strong student generally, but learning a foreign language was just not clicking for her. I don't know whether it's because I don't have a strong ear for it or my memorization skills. You grew up in Iowa, is that right? I did grow up in Iowa. Does that have any bearing on this? Well, there certainly was no motivation or ability to use the language as I was learning it. That's probably a factor. Like most Americans, Joan gave up on languages after checking off the language requirement box at college. She went on to have a successful career as a management consultant for Accenture, and then in a career shift, Joan became the head of the Atlanta Girls' School. When Joan says she sees herself as a global citizen, it's not just talk. Back in 2008, Joan and her husband, Kevin Solwyn, sold their big home in Atlanta and moved to a home half the size. Their daughter, Hannah, was the instigator when, as a teenager, she asked her parents why they were living so luxuriously while, when driving to school, they passed so many homeless people. The family made national news when they took half the proceeds from selling their big home, more than $800,000, and donated it to 20,000 villagers in Africa. Her husband, Kevin, a former Wall Street Journal editor, helped the family write a book about it called The Power of Half. Let's return to Joan's language journey. Then, as an adult, as I gained more motivation to learn Spanish, I kind of recommitted myself to it and did all sorts of things, from Rosetta Stone to Duolingo and watching Spanish television and things. And I was very discouraged at how difficult it was, and I had anticipated that what I had learned younger might just come right back up to the surface, and it did not. So give us an idea of the time frame here. You did it in high school and college. When did you get serious as an adult? Two years ago. We're talking about a 30-year gap. So you say you got discouraged? I got very discouraged. I mean, how can you get discouraged? We have seen you succeed in so many topics that you take upon. That's Mario Bravo talking. Mario is a friend of ours and to the show. He was a fellow from our program at Stanford. He joined us in the interview with Joan earlier this year. How can learning a language be challenging to you? It is so difficult for me. I remember in August of 2015, I decided that every single day I was going to work on Duolingo and Rosetta Stone, and I did for every single day of August. And near the end of the month, I hired my son, who is very proficient in Spanish, to have conversations with me, and they were awful. They were terrible. You know, he would ask a question, and, you know, I just was unable to even respond and it was really embarrassing and discouraging. Mario didn't understand why he never knew she was studying Spanish. But I never heard, even though we were colleagues for a whole year and a half, that you wanted to learn Spanish. What kept you from letting us know and being challenged by a Spanish speaker who could have bombarded you with questions in Spanish like we did with Steve, who didn't give us a chance to take a breath. He was always asking us things in Spanish. Well, the main reason is my lack of confidence in myself. You know, that I had the experience with my son where I was just paralyzed and unable to access any of my vocabulary in his presence. And I didn't want to have that experience in front of you, Mario. You, you, were, you were a new friend. I wanted, I wanted you to like me. 
Steve, John was stuck by what hangs up so many adult language learners, the fear of making mistakes, the fear of sounding foolish. You're right, and it takes a certain boldness to exit the classroom and the software and actually try to speak with real people. As it turns out, it was on a trip to Latin America that Joan witnessed something that had a profound effect on her. Kevin and I were visiting a Spanish-speaking country. We were in Costa Rica at a seaside resort. We went on a tour that was led by an Italian woman, and she was leading the tour in English. Obviously, she's proficient in both Italian and Spanish, but not so much in English. But I was enthralled by this woman. She was not very good at English, but you were enthralled with her? Why? <laughs> I was enthralled by her fearlessness and by her commitment to communicate with whatever level of proficiency of the language that she had. Every sentence that she uttered had subject-verb agreement problems and other grammatical problems in English. But we, of course, understood every single thing she was trying to communicate. And when we answered her questions, she understood us as well. But she demonstrated such an interest in having a relationship with us and communicating with us that it, she was unbothered by the fact that her English skill was not nearly as good as her Italian and Spanish skill. I think she said something like, we come aboard. Instead of welcome aboard? Yes, instead of welcome aboard. I was very much inspired by this woman, and that's why I returned to my Spanish I decided that I was going to take Spanish 1 as an adult in continuing studies at Stanford beginning in September. So I re-upped. And what was that like? It was terrific. It really was. I loved my teacher, who is a Guatemalan-born woman, and she was very engaging, not the drill and kill, you know, just conversation in class. And what's her name? Maria Cristina Ureya. And she's wonderful. Joan started getting some momentum and signed up for Spanish 2. Now that I'm taking Spanish 2 and working again with Maria Cristina Urella and working every day on my listening, speaking, reading, writing every single day, that I have actually broken through to the advanced beginner level. Congratulations. Felicitaciones. Gracias. So, and I'm very excited and very motivated by that, and I do think that that can help me advance to the next level. Fernando, let's go back to Stanford professor Laura Karstensen. She assures us that older adults can learn languages, but in her TED video, which has over 1.2 million views, she talked about something else. You mentioned in your TED video that if you don't get this aging thing, it's because it's recent. It yeah. just leaped upon us. Can you explain that? Oh, it's brand new, yeah. Uh, we added more years to average life expectancy in the 20th century than all years added across all prior millennia of human evolution combined. In a blink of an eye, in historical terms, we nearly doubled the length of the lives that we're living. So suddenly this came upon us, and we don't have a culture that tells us how to use and these added years. Laura says it's short-sighted to think that all the bonus years should be added to retirement. I think one of the biggest mistakes we've made with these added years is that we tacked them all on at the end. <laughs> so the only stage in life that got longer was retirement. So I'm 32 years old. Is it time for me to retire for a few years? Don't get your hopes up. 
But seriously, it's when people are in their 30s, when they are expected to do everything, build their careers, have children, raise a family, they have to grapple with who takes parental leave and for how long. And maybe a little vacation too? So we could use our longevity bonus to ease up on us 30-somethings when we need time the most. Exactly. I remember when Lori and I were in our 30s with our boys, we so wanted to live abroad in a Spanish-speaking country. But like most young professionals, we felt we were just too busy building our careers at home, doing what society expected of us. And another place we could add a year is between high school and college. Yes, today's high school students feel compelled to rush to college. Only a very few take a gap year, which our society generally sees as goofing off. Like Malia Obama, who took a year off before going to Harvard. Yes, as we reported in episode 17, when a gap year becomes a bridge year, what if that idea were to really spread the way Abby Falick of Global Citizen Year advocates and millions of young Americans took that year to live abroad in another language? Today's teens are likely to live decades longer than their grandparents. If we only think of it as old age, if we think of longevity as about old people, then we lose the opportunity to redesign all of life. Steve, you told me Joan is doing something else to help her Spanish. She's enrolled in Spanish 3, and she does something on Sundays, too. I attend a church that has a service in Spanish, so I can include that in my bilingual education. Joan is planning another trip to Latin America, this time to Guatemala with her teacher, and she'll be visiting some cattle ranches. I know that the more I do that, the more breakthroughs I will have going from having a foundational communication level to the next level and to the next and the next. I know it will allow me to have the conversations that I want to have with people who handle cattle and other Spanish speakers that I want to have relationships with. As I was talking with Joan, I could feel her thirst to become a bilingual. But it also will be a personal achievement for me because it is so difficult. It is so difficult. And I know that in other areas of my life, playing the piano or being a business person, that as I have achieved greater levels of mastery and comfort, that I have had personal rewards from that. And I know that my bilingual rewards will also be exciting and I look forward to claiming them. The America the Bilingual podcast is part of the Lead with Languages campaign of ACTFL, the American Council on the Teaching of Foreign Languages. This episode was written by me, Steve Levine, and our producer, Fernando Hernandez, who also does our sound design and mixing. Check out the rest of our cast at americathebilingual.com, including Becky Rankin, Carlos Plaza, Mim Harrison, and our barklingual pup, Jet. Our main musical theme is Quasi-Motion by Kevin McLeod under a Creative Commons attribution license. Financial support comes from the Levenger Foundation. Our thanks to Susan Golden, Jason Martin, Rock Hillenbrand, Phil Pizzo, and the Stanford DCI staff. Thanks for listening. For America the Bilingual, this is Steve Levine.